I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, and you're listening to The Goop Podcast, made possible by our friends at Lululemon. One of the job requirements at Goop is to take whatever new launches we have in the works out for a test drive. Whether it's our new Himalayan salt scalp scrub that lathers to a shampoo, our Goop Wellness Vitamin Protocols, or any of the G-Label pieces, we believe that feedback is the best way to consistently turn out the kind of products our customers expect from us. Lululemon believes this too, and what they do is pretty innovative. They invite athletes and yogis to take their iconic pants, sports bras, and technical outerwear for test runs. Their feedback helps Lululemon create products that support how you want to feel, no matter how you sweat, and informs the fit and functionality of each piece. No wonder they make what many would agree are the best yoga pants out there. For more information and for store locations, visit lululemon.com. Hi guys. Every Thursday, Goop editors will be sitting down with provocative thinkers, industry disruptors, and culture changers. I'll take turns interviewing barrier-breaking guests as we talk about shifting old paradigms and starting new conversations. Today's guest, Dr. Josh Axe, is a functional medicine practitioner and the author of Eat Dirt, Why Leaky Gut May Be the Root Cause of Your Health Problems and Five Surprising Steps to Cure It. He's also the co-founder of Ancient Nutrition, a superfood-based supplement company that's taken inspiration from Ayurveda and Chinese medicine. Let's do a dietary change, and let's use herbs and spices as medicine and certain nutrients. And, and when I do that with patients, just the results are so powerful and so much different than what the single approach is versus more of a holistic, natural Eastern approach that a Chinese medicine doctor, Ayurvedic doctor would have followed historically. Today, Dr. Ack sat down with our chief content officer, Elise Lunin, to share what he's learned about the convergence of nutrition, the gut, and our healthcare system. We know that broth has been a foundational food in diets of, of people with a long lifespan just throughout history. Okay, so lots of broth. It's pretty unique when you look at the amino acids in there, these collagen amino acids, the proline, the glycine, the hydroxyproline. After the conversation, I'll be doing a quick round of Ask Me Anything. If you've got a burning or totally random question you want me to answer, hit us up at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. Now let's get to Elise and her interview with Dr. Josh Axe. So we were talking before we started this interview and I was saying like, you're one of the most prolific doctors online. Like you literally are everywhere. It's amazing really good information. So where did you start? Like, how did this whole thing happen? Oh, man. So I, uh, I started a functional medicine clinic in Nashville, Tennessee. I actually had patients, uh, I would write a weekly newsletter. And I've always just liked writing. I was almost an English major. And so I would write an article for them every week. And one might be on, hey, the five ways to overcome diabetes, or hey, the top 10 superfoods you should be eating every day. I wrote an article on hey, ways to lower blood pressure naturally. And I had a patient come in and, and she said, hey, my, my uncle in North Carolina really could benefit from this, but so could you post this online? And I am not tech savvy at all, but my assistant's husband was a web designer. So I said, Lori, do you think Drew could start a website for me and just we start posting these online? She's like, yeah, we can do that. So that's a big part of what started my online website was uh, you know, me just starting to post my articles and then people start reading them and more people and more people. Well, you're an amazing poster child for it too. And what I think is really interesting about what you're doing 
obviously this comes from the perspective of being at Goop and we're primarily women, but and, and I think women are more complex hormonally and otherwise, and we tend to, it seems that we have more healing crises, and we obviously go through all these different hormonal stages, whereas men go through one. But you seem very accessible to men, which I think is important, because I think we all also have those men in our lives, like an uncle, who were like, just clean it up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where, what, where is your audience? Do you find it split or? Well, in reality, my, my audience, if we're going off of our, yeah, online web statistics and social, it's 80% women, 20% men. Mm-hmm. But, you know, still there's 20. I mean, yeah. the, the truth of the matter is women care more about their health than men. Women are just wiser in general. So, I mean, when it comes to, and I think being intuitive as well and understanding how important it is for having a quality of life that, you got to take care of your house. So, you know, I think in reaching men, like, cause this happens a lot. Like I can't tell you how often, especially in my, in my practice in the past, I'd have, you know, uh, a spouse come in, a wife, and she would say, um, how do I get my husband to try and get healthy? And, you know, I, I think, I think the best way to do it is, I think there's a couple things. One, I think communicating to, you know, to the person, just letting them know why, you know, I want you to be around for your grandkids. I just, I really care about you. And that, so that's part of it. But let me, let me tell you another quick story. So my dad, my mom is, this is a great example with my mom and dad. My mom in the past had cancer, but now she, you know, I call her the Vitamix lady and that's, I have no association (laughs) with Vitamix, but you know, she, she loves like making people smoothies and green juices and the whole thing. And, and she, and so my mom is like super healthy when she went through her crises and overcame it, my dad, um, kind of started coming on board, doing a little better. My dad's like an old school military guy. Like if he didn't, he's, you know, sushi to him is like, just never, right. no way. You know, it's meat and it's potatoes and it's a side vegetable that's been cooked in butter. And that's, that's what he eats, you know. But um, I think over time, like my dad, he started having sore joints. He water skis, he lifts a lot. And I found his hot button. And, and also he was taking all these pills that were, mm-hmm. you know, conventional medicine that I knew were bad for his liver and his kidneys. And I said, dad, I just, I read a study that shows that when you take those, it actually, actually decreases your ability to build muscle. And literally since then, my dad has not taken it. You know, if somebody doesn't find something valuable or important, I don't know that immediately they're going to say to themselves, um, Hey, I'm going to change, change that. But I think too, like for my, my, my own father, he was eating a lot of this conventional ice cream. I found a coconut milk ice cream he liked better. My dad was so addicted to these pain pills, but, it, and I'm talking about over the counter, mm-hmm. but, you know, I was able to find him this type of enzyme and bromelain and turmeric and others that, you know, he was, he started taking now instead. And so I think that's one of the big things for men. If you can find some good swaps for them, mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, I think that's important. I think in reaching men too, men care more. Like if you would say to a man, Hey, you need to balance your hormones. And that's not important, but letting them know. <laughs> Well, to a degree, hey, here's how to boost your testosterone. Because a lot of men today, especially 40 years and older, the number of men with low testosterone is, I don't know the exact statistics, but it is high. It is really high. So I think going, here's a good way for you to boost human growth hormone naturally, testosterone, your energy levels, your brain function. I think those are the things that probably resonate most with men. Anti-aging for men, that how their skin looks, they do not right. care. You know, the truth is, some, if somebody doesn't care, it's hard to make somebody care. 
Right. I want to um, just put a flag in turmeric and and herbs because I know I want to talk. I want to ask you some questions about that, but I also want to tell you a story, which is. My husband will probably kill me for this. But when I first met him, he was on an incredibly high-carb, beer-heavy diet. It's from the Midwest. And he's a thin guy. But he always had, like, a little bit of a tummy. And the first night that we spent together – again, sorry, getting a little intimate. But, like, the first night we had a sleepover, he – was like, oh, I'm so uncomfortable and like all these protestations. I like ran, we were living in New York. I ran down to the deli. I was like, what's wrong with you? I got him Pepto-Bismol. And finally he was like, I just have really bad gas. And that's how I've always been. And I was like, it's fine. Just like don't poop in the bed and we're good. (laughs) But um, he was convinced that his father was that way and that he was that way. And probably a year, like after we were married and I'd been living with this, I was like, this isn't normal. And so I yeah. got him to take out gluten as a test, his favorite food, and he, it completely transformed him. Yeah, wow. And it's, it's frustrating to some extent because I'm struggling to lose the weight from my second baby and we have a digital scale and I'm, I'm tall, so I weigh a lot, but still my goddamn digital scale is always like Rob or Elise I'm like screw you Rob (laughs) because it's completely changed his body yeah and now when he eats gluten he's punished um and he so he doesn't and I, I think you know what you just said too it makes me think of this like if it's not simple, people won't do it. Like one of the things and I'm not saying going gluten free is simple because it's not necessarily but today I think if somebody at least knows, okay, I just need to go gluten-free, that's one step. I think that's something a lot of people would do because now – now, 10 years ago, this wasn't the case. Now, there's a lot of good gluten-free beers. Yeah. You know, there there are things people can do. And it's it's been important for me because I do most of the cooking, and so to have him on board with a cleaner diet is obviously much easier for me in terms of what I want to achieve oh, with yeah. my health. So it's, like, nice to not be perpetually – totally derailed by my inherently thin husband. (laughs) Um, All right. So herbs. So you practice a lot of Chinese medicine, which is really interesting. And I think, I know people have a lot of um, questions about it. We talk a lot about adaptogenic herbs on goop, but what's your philosophy? What do you, what do you sort of recommend as a baseline? What are, like, how do you mix them? How do you use them effectively? You know what? Everybody's body's different. Certain herbs are amazing for some people and certain ones aren't as useful for others. But one big principle is all of us need to consume more herbs and spices, as I was saying before. We've got to be getting more of these in our diet in terms of, you know, if we're comparing kale and broccoli, like talking about kale and broccoli, kale kale is so popular. But cilantro and parsley and moringa leaf are way more nutrient-dense than kale. Mm -hmm. Same thing, the therapeutic compounds in turmeric are so much really overall stronger than what's in kale. And we, when we use the, the term food is medicine, it's most true for herbs and spices. They were used as medicine by, in traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine. So I know for sure we all need more of those. I think getting more anti-inflammatory herbs in our diet, everybody can benefit from turmeric. You know, turmeric is amazing because it has curcumin, which is anti-inflammatory. Another sort of lesser known compound in turmeric, though, is called tumorone, and it's found in the highest levels in something like a turmeric essential oil. Um, turmeric, uh, or this tumorone compound, has been shown to help boost... Uh, 
stem cells in your body and actually heal damaged nerve tissue, help heal the brain, help heal your peripheral nervous system. It really is amazing. So I think turmeric can benefit everybody. Ginger can benefit anybody doing those types of herbs. If someone has a thyroid condition like hypothyroidism, ashwagandha and bacopa are the two most beneficial herbs for those people to take. They boost your chi and a little bit of your yang in Chinese medicine, which is what hypothyroidism is. So those two together are really, really powerful for hypothyroidism. If we're talking about, let's say, adrenal fatigue, for adrenals, hey, ashwagandha is great as well, but especially rhodiola rosea and ginseng. Mm -hmm. So rhodiola and ginseng are those ultimate energy boosters, energizers, and then actually another mushroom called cordyceps are really great for the adrenals as well. If we're talking brain health, I love, and by the way, Okay, I'm in Nashville, out here in LA, and uh, you don't really see CBD oil in Nashville. <laughs> I walked into a store, Air, Air One, and the whole thing was CBD. I mean, was there anything that didn't say CBD? I literally could not, I was in the beverage section. I'm like, literally, every one of these beverages has CBD. But that being said, I think when we're talking brain health, CBD is amazing for, for your brain. I also love lion's mane mushroom. Mm -hmm. Lion's mane mushroom has been shown in clinical studies to also support nerve regeneration via something called nervine growth factor. So it helps nerve tissue heal, which is just amazing. And so it also is a natural nootropic. Mm -hmm. You know, I also love rosemary essential oil. Rosemary essential oil is also a great one for the brain, for brain health. So those would be some I would do there for that. If we're talking about hormones for women, just general, if we're talking about fertility, you know, a lot of times fertility issues come from, in Chinese medicine, it's known to be what's called a spleen chi deficiency, which essentially is your pancreas and insulin, and it's your reproductive organs. And so you want to boost your chi and you want to nourish your, what's called your spleen pancreas in Chinese medicine. The foods and herbs that help really boost your spleen and help that, dong quai and astragalus are amazing for your blood. They're amazing for sort of warming your system um, in Chinese medicine. And then eating foods like uh, pumpkin, squash, um, like fall foods, think Thanksgiving, you know, that, 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 those are those spleen building foods doing cinnamon is amazing. And then also reproductive foods, foods that are nutrient dense, it's blueberries, it's seaweed, like spirulina chlorella. Um, those foods are very nourishing. Um, and then an, an herb called, uh, Romania, it's R E H M A N N I. Romania is great. But if I have you know, somebody who's struggling with infertility issues or that type of thing. I do think hormone balancing herbs are great, um, such as clary sage is very good. For men with low testosterone, um, I think ginseng and then deer antler are very good. And so, and I could go on with a hundred other things, but, um, and let me touch on one more gut health. I think a lot of people struggle with gut health today. Another surprising, well, probiotics are very high on the list. Lion's mane mushroom is great for your gut health as well. Ginger is fantastic as well. I like ginger, even a little bit of peppermint or peppermint essential oil, just a drop or two. But, you know, those are some of the best things for those areas. But, you know, that's the way, when we, when we talk about Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, I really believe that, let me give you an example of thyroid health. This happens all the time today with people with hypothyroidism. They'll go into a conventional doctor and the conventional doctor will just say, hey, here's Synthroid, or here's some type of thyroxine, you know, here's a thyroid medication, and we're just going to treat you like that. The problem is, it is never fixing what's actually causing the hypothyroidism. Hypothyroidism 
in Chinese medicine is known to actually be several issues going on in the body. It starts sometimes in your digestive system. Most people with hypothyroidism have what's called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. It's an autoimmune form. So there's really three main systems in play. It's your gut, it's your actual thyroid, and it's also your adrenals. All of those areas, there's a deficiency. And a lot of natural doctors too will even say, well, Here's a single herb like ashwagandha. I'm going to treat it like that. Now, ashwagandha is great, and they, somebody should take that. But if I have a patient come in with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, I'm putting together a comprehensive protocol and game plan for them on how to get well. And here, here's how I'll look at the body. Okay, we know all these systems are having issues. So here we're going to start with the gut. We're going to repair this gut lining. I'm going to have you start doing some bone broth and collagen, giving you those building blocks to repair the gut. I'm going to remove gluten and sugar and these inflammatory foods. And I'm going to have you consume a lot of foods that are easy to digest. It's broth. It's coconut oil. It's lots of cooked vegetables, a little bit of wild organic meat. You know, a lot of like bone broth soups, chicken soup, you know, that's what you feed. That's the ideal meal when somebody has a gut issue, which essentially is causing part of the thyroid issue. And a lot of people with hypothyroidism too, their adrenals are, are worn out. And so it's getting more sleep or supporting the adrenals that's supporting the thyroid. So ashwagandha is a great adaption for that. Uh, rhodiola can be great for that. And then certain nutrients are important too. Zinc is really important for the gut. Selenium is really important for the thyroid. B12 is really important for the adrenals. Mm-hmm. So when I, have, you know, when, I, when I took care of patients in the past, I really put together... I'm not just saying, hey, here's a single herb. Here's a single medication. No, let's do a dietary change and let's use herbs and spices as medicine and certain nutrients. And and when I do that with patients, just the results are so powerful and so much different than what the single approach is versus more of a holistic, natural Eastern approach that a Chinese medicine doctor, Ayurvedic doctor would have followed historically. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting too how many of these, I know, there are many people who perceive this as sort of like outside of the box or not complementary with what's practiced in the West. But it's I was with um, Dr. Rudy Tanzi two weeks ago, who is at Harvard, one of the leading researchers on Alzheimer's. But he was like, please, if there's one thing you're going to do, please start taking ashwagandha. So it's not so fringe. So ashwagandha, turmeric, all readily accessible. Can people get into trouble? Like how important is it to have sort of a coordinated plan or are there certain things that just like take it? It's going to be good for you. Yeah. So again, I think, I mean, turmeric is one of those herbs. Cinnamon is one of those herbs. Ginger, th- those, those types of herbs and spices, I think people can definitely take on a regular basis for the most part. Um, I think, you know, the adaptogens, it depends on the adaptogen. Ginseng is typically more of an adaptogen that someone takes over the age of 40 or over the age of once somebody gets older, you don't want your body to rely on that or it's not the best to take when you're younger typically. Um, certain adaptogens like astragalus can be take, taken longer, but most adaptogens aren't meant to be taken year-round necessarily. Now, some that are more of the weaker adaptogens, you can, but I think for most of them, it's good to sort of cycle them. Mm-hmm. And this would get into a whole other thing. There are certain herbs that are best taken certain times of year. I'll give you an example. The spring is when you want to take dandelion, especially the month of March. Your liver, it's when it's the strongest. Your liver, certain organ systems get worn out easier. Your liver never really gets, hardly ever gets worn out. It just gets mad, okay? It's the most powerful organ in your body, and it just gets inflamed and it gets mad. But dandelion... So when people, it's kind of funny, like 
Chinese medicine Ayurvedic practitioners really got this. I see people today coming up with supplement formulas where they just throw a bunch of dandelion root in there. That's really not the best to take year-round, like dandelion, because it is so strong. It just causes your liver to dump. Mm. Versus milk thistle can be taken more year-round because it's more of a protective. Uh, it actually helps liver regeneration. It's protective. It causes mo- more mild detoxification. Um, burdock root is more cooling, reducing inflammation from, from the liver and cleansing the blood. You've got artichoke, which is more of a general liver cleanser. You've got bupleurum, which is actually the number one liver detoxification herb in Chinese medicine. And that actually helps direct your liver detoxification and creates liver health. So I do think, you know, people can probably most benefit from turmeric long-term, but if somebody does have hypothyroidism long-term or quite often, they can do things like ashwagandha and bacopa. It's interesting to hear you talk about a ketogenic diet. Let's get into that. Like ketogenic, like, is that something that you promote? Is that something that you believe is a good long-term fix as like a standard diet? Yeah, so here's here's how I feel about the ketogenic diet. I think that there's a lot of false um, false information out there about it. I think that a lot of the people that are promoting it aren't promoting it the right way. I have used the ketogenic diet with patients and seen awesome results. But I don't believe the ketogenic diet should be done for as a permanent diet long term. I see it more of a cleanse. Hey, do it for 30 days of several, you know, two months a year. Do it, you know. Uh, do it in the winter, do it again sometime in the summer or something like that. So, you know, when you're on a ketogenic diet, you're resting a system of your body, which is awesome. Most people are over consuming carbohydrates. So their pancreas is really worn out. It's affecting insulin. It's affecting their estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, all the, when you, when you imbalance insulin, you affect all these organ systems, especially cortisol. So I think there are massive benefits with a keto diet of completely resting your pancreas, letting your body start to rebalance insulin. It's great for hormones. It's amazing for weight loss. But if you do it too long, you're going to start to overtax your liver and your gallbladder. The other big thing I see with keto is a lot of these people today, it's all butter and bacon, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's not nutrient dense. Like your organs need nutrients. Your body needs you know, and your body needs a balanced pH. I know I'm not a big believer in, I remember this is years ago, somebody said, you know, if you just eat, consume an alkaline diet, it'll kill cancer, it'll kill this, it'll kill that. That's just not true. If you want to be alkaline, like drink bleach, it's super alkaline. That's not, <laughs> that's not the solution. But minerals in general are more alkaline, you know, and so to eat, but with, when someone's on a keto diet, they're doing quite a bit of fat and meat, which most commonly. So those tend to be more acidic. So the big thing on a keto diet, people need to be really conscious of doing loads of plants and alkaline vegetables. I think it's a breakthrough diet for a lot of people, especially when we're talking weight loss, diabetes, brain health, neurological health. I've worked with children with epilepsy Mm -hmm. and children with autism and saw the most amazing results when they followed the keto diet. But again, I would think of it more as a cleanse to be done for a time being for 30 to 90 days and then getting back to a diet that's plant-based, some wild organic meat. And again, I know, hey, if you're vegan, then hey, go back to you know being a vegan or go back to doing paleo. But I think you still want to be conscious of your carbohydrate consumption because once you get past a certain amount and that sugar is left in your system, when sugar is left in your bloodstream or you have too much of it, it just ca- it's, it's free, it causes free radical damage, inflammation, causes aging. You just don't want that. Do you, and as part of that, are you a fan of intermittent fasting as sort of an ongoing? I love intermittent fasting. I think it can be great. Now, let me say this. 
I've found that this isn't in every case, but in general, I think men tend to do a little bit better with intermittent fasting than women. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now I know that's just sort of a blanket statement, you know, and this is, this is a principle of Chinese medicine. Men's bodies rebound a little faster. They, they don't have these same fluctuations hormonally as women, of course. And so, and women do. So I think for, for women, when they're intermittent fasting, it's just good to be conscious because so, sometimes I've seen some women who get low blood sugar, especially at certain times of during their menstrual cycle. And it really, if, so I, I just think if a woman is intermittent fasting, they need to be more conscious around their menstrual cycle and especially with blood loss and how their body doing because certain foods and herbs are really good for the blood. I'll say this too. If somebody's on their um, menstrual cycle, some things that are just amazing for that, um, Dong Kwai, it's a natural blood builder. It is amazing. I think it's something almost every woman could benefit from taking, taking right before their period. I think astragalus is fantastic for women. And there's also some natural herbs like cramp bark, clary sage that works well, and some other things, Vitex, which is known as chasberry. But all those herbs together are really great. And you can probably find them in a combo formula, but um, may help if somebody's intermittent fasting or doing keto to really support that healthy blood. Mm -hmm. So I know you, you make your own collagen. You, you believe that we are completely lacking. Can you explain a little bit like what, what your, the philosophy on that is? Yeah. So, you know, everything that I look at, a lot of it is, you know, what did ancient practitioners teach? What did the healthiest civilizations in the world what did they do to stay healthy? And one of the things I found, if you look around the world, people consumed a lot of broth. When we're talking about Okinawa, Japan, and Asia and Japan, they consumed a lot of fish broth. When you look at certain areas of South America, we're talking about lots of grass-fed beef broth. Other areas around the entire world, a lot of chicken broth. Okay, So we know that broth has been a foundational food in diets of, of people with a long lifespan just throughout history. Okay, so lots of broth. It's pretty unique when you look at the amino acids in there, these collagen amino acids, the proline, the glycine, the hydroxyproline. You know, I, I gave this analogy earlier is that, you know, when I talked about omega-3 fats 15 years ago, no, almost nobody knew what an omega-3 fat was. Today, everybody knows you need a balance of omega-3 fats and omega-6 at anywhere from a 1 to 1 to a 1 to 4 ratio. You need a balanced ratio. The same thing should be with our proteins. And when people think protein today, they think, oh, there's two categories. There's plant and animal. Mm -hmm. It's not true in terms of necessarily the amino acids being different. Rice protein is very similar to chicken. Pea protein is very similar to egg. I mean, the amino acids are what are called branch chain amino acids and methionine, which are all muscle building proteins versus collagen. It supports your collagen. One third of the enti- of all of your body's protein, 30% is collagen. So your skin, your hair, your nails, your bones, your discs, your ligaments, your tendons, your connective tissue, your gut lining, your arterial walls, all of those are made up of between 70 and 100% collagen protein. Just like you need a balance of healthy fats, you need a balance of types of amino acids and proteins in your diet. And so collagen should make up in my mind anywhere from one-third to one-fourth of your total protein protein consumption. So for most people, that's going to be 20, 30 grams a day, which is about one to two servings of collagen a day, is going to reap big health benefits. You know, when you look at clinical studies, they've shown you overconsume these meat protein, not just meat, hey, it could be rice, but too many branched chain amino acids, it could take years off your life if you consume more. 
collagen proteins like glycine can add years to your life. And so we're going to start seeing, just everybody take a look, take note of this. Over the next 10 years, you'll start to see people talking about you've got to balance out your amino acid consumption, just like balancing out your fat consumption is critical to your health. And I have seen the biggest difference when people started drinking and using bone broth, whether it's a bone broth powder or a bone broth liquid or a collagen powder or collagen liquid. But I do think that bone broth and collagen are so, there are one of our biggest deficiencies today, if not the biggest, because it's a macronutrient that some people are getting zero of in their diet altogether. If somebody has especially skin issues, a lot of times it's a collagen deficiency, joint issues, gut and digestive issues. A lot of times, and people, if you've ever taken collagen, I mean, I noticed my nails got thicker, my hair got thicker, my skin looked better. I mean, how many proteins can you say that about? Like, do a selfie. Like, 30 days <laughs> later, you did a bunch of collagen or bone broth, and how do you look? And one other thing to note here, I think buying a collagen protein is great. I do think getting a bone broth or a bone broth powdered protein can sometimes be even better than collagen. Here's the reason I say that. Bone broth also has glucosamine, chondroitin, and hyaluronic acid in it, which aren't collagen, but they're collagen boosters. Mm -hmm. So doing a bone broth powder or just drinking straight up, as our ancestors have for thousands of years, drinking bone broth, it's the ultimate source of collagen, but it also has other factors that boost collagen. So what do you recommend for for vegans, vegetarians? Like, how do they overcome that? If you can take a good source of collagen and be willing to just do that as, as an animal product to do it, but if someone just won't do that. The next best thing is going to be consuming foods that support your body's collagen. It's vitamin C rich foods. And I'm talking about really high in vitamin C, especially like camu camu and amla berry. Those are more exotic berries, but they're the most vitamin C rich foods in the world. Mm -hmm. Those are good. Medicinal mushrooms can help to a degree like a reishi mushroom. Herbs that build your chi in Chinese medicine, Romania, which I mentioned earlier, R-E-H-M-A-N-N-I-A, Romania can be good. Faux tea is actually, we're going to start seeing faux tea becoming popular. It, it, it's like this again. How many people knew what ashwagandha was 15 years ago? <laughs> Nobody. But faux tea is known as the ultimate anti-aging herb in all of Chinese medicine. It's called hu, uh, huishu. And then just general adaptogens, mm-hmm. ashwagandha, some others, I think can support it a little bit, but not by boosting collagen, by decreasing collagen breakdown. Maybe things that are high in biotin can help to a degree. I am having um, bone broth coffee right now. No, I'm having collagen coffee. Collagen coffee. Which nice. Is, um, in, it's not detectable. No, you know, the great thing about buying a, a, like a multi-collagen is that they uh, it's a tasteless powder. Yeah, so you can throw it in coffee, water, smoothie, tea, and... Um, it's great too. You know, I mean, kids, let me just say this about kids. Do you, did you know there's more collagen in your bones than all minerals combined than calcium? There's more collagen than calcium in your bones. So, you know, the, the dairy companies really are what popularized calcium. Okay. Cause they had it in their product. But if we're talking about truly development, like childhood development, calcium is super important. Okay. Don't get me wrong. I think Kids should get a lot of green vegetables and maybe some raw fermented dairy like kefir and great for the bones. But collagen is just as important, if not more important than calcium for your bones. You know, so I think even kids today getting some collagen in a smoothie for breakfast or that type of thing, I think it's important for everybody. We'll have more of Elise's conversation with Dr. Josh Axe in a minute. In the meantime, let's talk about one of our partners. 
At Goop, we've sung the praises of both yoga and meditation from day one. These practices go a long way toward grounding and centering us and generally bettering the state of our well-being. And we're obviously not the only ones using our platforms to spread the good word. Lululemon is committed to providing access to yoga and meditation as tools for well-being to unlock real change in people and communities. Their Here to Be Social Impact program teams up with nonprofits to create access to yoga and meditation across social, physical, and economic barriers. And they bring it to life with public classes and workshops. Even Lululemon's retail locations are focused on building community with group classes and other resources. And their ambassador program asks the yogis, trainers, and mindfulness coaches who run Lululemon's public events to test new product and then report back with tweaks. So it's really no wonder their signature yoga pants are perfectly stretchy, comfortable, and performance-oriented. For more information and for store locations, visit lululemon.com. My husband Rob and I both work, and we have two little boys, which means that I'm typically racing home from work at the end of the day to give them a bath and hang with them a bit before bed. Making it to the grocery store isn't always an option, which is why Rob and I find ourselves ordering way too much takeout. I love a good pizza, but my butt and thighs don't, which is why I try to cook as much as possible. That way, I can see what's going into my meal and into my belly. I recently heard about Gobble and was really excited to try it. For one, their meals are designed to cook in under 15 minutes and can all be made in one pan, which is great for those of us who don't find it relaxing to do a sink load of dishes every night. But I was really into the meals because the marinades were delicious and every dish was packed with spices, which made everything feel truly home-cooked, despite the fact that it came together faster than it normally takes me to decide what to order. What I was most excited about, though, was that the salmon, served with delicious cauliflower rice and a red pepper vinaigrette, was sustainably sourced and rated as a best choice by the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch Guide. It was delicious, and Max, my five-year-old, was so intrigued that he stayed up for a second dinner and loved it too. The best part, Gobble is offering Goop listeners a special deal. Get $50 off your first box from Gobble. Go to gobble.com goop and get $50 off. That's gobble.com goop. Okay, let's get back to our chat with Dr. Josh Axe. You had mentioned some essential oils earlier. So are those, like, do you recommend, are those ingestible? Like, how do you use, I know essential yeah. oils are yeah. a really big part of your practice. Like, can you yeah. explain their best application? Yeah. You know, essential oils are, it's funny, you know, it's, the internal use is definitely a controversial topic. My, my belief system is if you're talking about an herb or seed that we typically consume as a food, if you do it in the right dosage, and you're buying a really quality ingredient, I think some of them are, are fine to do internally. Now, some aren't fine. You know, you shouldn't be doing wintergreen essential oil internally and a lot of herbs that come from trees. They're not, they're, they're, they don't have those compounds that our system is necessarily used to digesting. But let's talk about cinnamon oil. 75% or more of cinnamon powder is cinnamaldehyde. It's a compound that, you know, is in cinnamon three drops of cinnamon oil is about maybe a teaspoon of cinnamon. That's a completely healthy dose. It's been done in clinical studies at Mayo Clinic and other places. So people that say you should never consume an essential oil internally, it's just throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's just not being, you know, diverse enough in understanding that, you know what, 
again, I think essential oils can be used internally. Some of the oils that are more gentle, like lemon oil or orange oil, which, by the way, have been used for thousands of years in Chinese medicine as bitter orange peel, Mm -hmm. as a bitter digestive. Um, They're used in a lot of alcohols today. In fact, a lot of citrus peels and herbs. So, you know, so I think certain oils can be taken internally for long term, more citrus oils probably than any. Some herbs can be taken for short periods of time. Oil of oregano, if somebody's sick with their cold or flu, 10 days. But over time, some of these oils are pretty strongly antimicrobial, like oregano. So I wouldn't consume oregano oil more than 10 days internally because it's going to start to affect your microbiome, your gut lining, and maybe get a little bit hard on it. Mm -hmm. A little bit goes a long way. I mean, you know, three drops of cinnamon oil is a whole teaspoon of cinnamon powder. I mean, that's a lot of... That's a lot of cinnamon, really. You know, you shouldn't do more than two teaspoons a day because it actually starts to tax your liver. The way I like to use essential oils the most is through using it topically, diffusing it, or replacing chemicals in your house with essential oils. That's one of the greatest benefits of essential oils. So many people today have chemicals throughout their entire home and in their personal care products. Mm -hmm. I'll give you just a quick story here. When I was in training to become a doctor... I had a lot of healthy stuff in my house, but I didn't have healthy dishwashing detergent. I did a test on myself. I used to do organic acids and all these more complex tests just to learn even on myself. And I came back with like really high levels of just one toxin. It was like benzene. And I'm like, what, what is going on here? What, why, why are these levels so high? Well, I realized later on, and I started reading what were common sources were, dishwashing detergent. I, was, I cooked all the time. I would be running the dishwasher, breathing in those fumes, not realizing it. Hey, get a diffuser in your house rather than those plugins that are so toxic. You know, diffuse, you know, cinnamon and clove. Diffuse, you know, in, in the summer, summer or something that's really fresh, you know, doing, doing some fur needle oil or any sort of, you know, um, tree oils are very good. Lemon oil is so fresh. Bergamot is amazing. So I think just diffusing these oils, I diffuse them when I meditate, like, you know, frankincense oil and myrrh. But so I think diffusing them in your house and skincare products. Like my wife, Chelsea, has amazing skin. She adds like geranium rose oil, myrrh oil, lavender oil. She adds these in. She just puts a few drops in with her moisturizer she already uses. And, you know, it's great for the skin. So I think that essential oils are amazing in your personal care products, Mm -hmm. using them to scent your home. And then I also think is, is aromatic medicine. I think lavender oil, just diffusing some before you sleep is really amazing. Peppermint oil for a little energy or a few drops of peppermint oil for digestion. Yeah. We have in the, at Goop there, we have our five bath protocols and they're just packed with, Oh yeah. You take our goodnight bath soak. It knocks you out. Oh yeah. You mentioned the gut. So I know you've I know you've been incredibly prolific on leaky gut and how to heal from that. Is there like a can you just outline the basics of your program or where people yeah. should really start? It's important to remember that all of these herbs I just mentioned, all these foods, none of them heal you. Your body heals itself. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you want to do a couple things. So you know, and, and imagine you got a little cut on your hand and you just kept bothering it. You kept scratching it. You never give it a chance to heal. This is why fasting is so beneficial. It's the same thing. Your stomach, your digestive system, all of your organs, you're giving them a chance to repair themselves. A lot of times we never give them a chance. When somebody's asking, hey, what's the best diet for leaky gut? There's two things to remember. One, it's the diet that's easiest, easiest to digest where your body's having to do almost no work. One of the reasons why bone broth is so great it's already in an amino acid form. It's, it's serum soluble. 
your body has to do almost no work whatsoever to digest broth. Coconut oil is easier to digest. Cooked vegetables, easy to digest. The ideal diet for somebody with leaky gut is a diet that does, one, that's easy to digest, and number two, creates an environment where bad bacteria, candida, and other unbeneficial microbes can't survive. So it's going to be a diet high in broth and like chicken soup and that type of thing, and a diet that's high in herbs that help dry up typically dampness in the body. Um, Powdarko is a fantastic one that dries up dampness. Um, And then other things that help support your digestive system, astragalus, ginger root tea is awesome. And so, you know, when I had patients with leaky gut syndrome and a lot of times had an element of candida, I'd have them do a lot of chicken broth soup, a lot of little bit of organic meat, loads of cooked vegetables, maybe a little bit of rice in the form of congee where you take the rice, you put it in a slow cooker, typically by sprouted rice and you cook it for 12 hours where it's mush, that or an oat that's mush. That's what you want. Again, it's pre-digested, pre-broken down through sprouting and long-form cooking and just eating those foods that are easy to digest and then consuming teas and herbs that dry up dampness just about three glasses a day or taking just, you know, capsule forms is great too. But when somebody does that, they, they, they can actually kick leaky gut. You know, some people, if it's not severe 30 days, some 90 days, if somebody has really severe inflammatory bowel disease, it can take longer, but um, it, it can work pretty fast. So two quick questions. What creates dampness in the body? Yep. And how do you know if leaky gut might be a factor? Yeah. So, so here's what dampness is. And by the way, if you have candida, you have dampness. That's, a, that's a, the most common condition we discuss. People know of today that's damp. But most digestive issues are related to dampness, gas, bloating. So think about forms of dampness are white coating on your tongue, mucus. If you ever get sick with a cold or flu, mucus is very damp. So dampness is, think about a... a a uh, wet basement somewhere, what's going to happen? You keep a basement wet, it's dark and it's wet, it grows mold. Same thing with your body. As your body's damp, it's going to grow fungus, you know, mold, fungus, candida, yeast will overgrow. So the foods that are most dampening are sugar, wheat products are very dampening, egg whites are very dampening, a lot of oils avocados are actually mildly dampening, bananas are dampening in, in, in tropical fruits. Cold foods actually can increase dampness. Foods that are, are drying are, tend to be bitter foods. Uh, actually, milk thistle and dandelion are pretty bitter. Artichokes, uh, beets, um, arugula. Think about if you ever bite arugula, that's a super bitter herb. So again, doing lots of you know, bitter foods. And herbs are the most bitter food category per se. So that's why they work very well at, at you know, drying up dampness. You and your wife, I know you guys also create a lot of videos and that like fitness is a major part of this, um, keto cycling, et cetera. Like, what do you recommend? Like what's, what's, what's your general go-to? Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, my wife is just awesome. And, uh, and I, if you want to check out her fitness stuff, she's, she's got a great, uh, Instagram page. It's just Dr. Chelsea Axe. And uh, we're both on there, and you can see us working out and hanging with our dogs, flashing up. They're two little Cavalier Spaniels. And by the way, when we work out, they just, yeah, they just love to sit in their bed and wash us. And Ch- Chelsea does a lot of uh, handstand, you know, handstands and yoga and stuff. And they walk up and lick her face and just love that. But um, we really love to mix it up. We weight train, we do yoga, and we do a lot of hit. 
So we kind of cycle between those three things a lot. But if somebody only has a 20 minutes, several days a week in general, like what Chelsea and I do, if we have to have a quick workout, we work large muscle groups pretty hard. For instance, you know, your quad, your butt, your quads and hamstrings, so your butt and legs, and then your back are really your, um, you know, biggest muscle groups. And so I think that, you know, if we're going to do a quick workout, we'll do body weight squats, you know, and you know, maybe pull-ups and some sort of an interval thing. But, you know, that's – and then maybe like a, a hip bridge, you know, on the ground, something like that. Do you think that fitness will become as personalized as healthcare in the sense that, like, we all have a different way that we need to exercise? You know, I don't think it will become as nutrition because I think nutrition is – I think it's a little bit easier to gauge, and I think people find it – I don't want to say more interesting, but I think it's more – I, I, I think fitness is going to be yes. I think nutrition will be more. But yeah, I think if you look at these ancient practices, like for instance, if I have a patient come in, I can typically, or if, if and most people in Chinese medicine could tell this, I could tell if they're too yin or too yang or not enough chi. Different types of exercise boost that. Mm-hmm. You know, if I really, if I want to keep somebody balanced, HIIT training is great. If somebody needs to really lower those cortisol levels and build peace, yoga is perfect. But a lot of people, especially as they age, their testosterone, their human growth hormone, these are anti-aging hormones. Like human growth hormone is really important for anti-aging for when you're 60, you want to be in 80, you want to be playing with your grandkids, shooting a basketball still, going out golfing, playing tennis, whatever, or whatever it is. You People want to be doing that. And so as you age, it actually gets more important that people do some weights and, and do things where they're actually causing their body to be what's called anabolic, which is build healthy muscle. And so I do think we will see some personalized fitness for sure. And it makes sense to. And then my final question, just because we've talked a lot about protein, how, and there's such a, there's so much focus on it sort of culturally is like protein, 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 eat more protein. Where do you stand on like, what do you, what's the ideal breakdown in your practice? You know, I, I think, I think it depends on and sorry to always give a not a yes or no answer necessarily, but I think again, I, I think I think it really depends on the person. If somebody is being very active, they need more protein. I mean, that's without a doubt. I think the bigger issue we have today is the imbalance in the type of protein we're getting in our diet. I mean, I, I'm more of a believer that for a lot of people, having pretty equal ratios of macronutrients is ideal. If somebody's more sedentary, they're better off doing more fat. And less carbs and protein. Somebody's a little more active. I think a little time, times they need a little bit more protein in their diet. But again, I think getting more of that collagen protein in their diet is really important for balancing out those branch chain amino acids and muscle building proteins. You know, like for me, you know, I weigh about 175 pounds. I try and get, I probably get about 110 grams of protein a day. So, you know, I try and get, if I eat three times a day, about 35 grams three times a day is what I personally do. I think most people, Hey, 25 grams, three times, you know, 70 grams a day or something like that. One of those servings should, could be collagen. Two others or more, those branched amino acids. I think that's ideal for somebody who's moderately, mildly to moderately active. Thank you for joining our interview with Dr. Josh Axe today. You can learn more about his work at draxe.com. Okay, onto that promised Ask Me Anything. 
Carla would like to know how I deal with failure. This answer has really changed for me in the past 20 years. I think when I was in my 20s, failure felt very personal and very hard. And I think I felt a lot of shame when I felt I had failed at something. And I think as I live my life and continue to fail and make mistakes and also have great lessons and some successes, I realize that failing what we perceive as failure is actually an incredible window into what you need to learn, what kind of building block you need to get to the next step. I think failure is very galvanizing. I think it's very motivating. And I'm so happy for the failures that I've had in my life, you know, even things that seemed really painful at the time, like my divorce, which at the time it was hard not to consider it as a failure, but it actually turned into one of the most, the biggest growth opportunities of my life. And we were able to do it in a way that I feel very proud of. So don't be afraid of failure. Failure is there for a reason. If you imagine, to paraphrase Rilke, that anything that happens to you, that if life is in the right, then that failure is there, perfectly designed for you to learn something. Have a question? Drop us a line at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. That's it for this week's episode of the Goop Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and share with your friends. To keep up with new episodes, just hit subscribe. And for more info, head over to goop.com slash the podcast. See you next week.